founder of Rookie Designer. My name is Jake Van Ness from Graphic Precision, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl, from Holy Carp Design. How are you doing, Carl? Happy New Year, Jake. And yes. um, I'm sitting here stirring the pot. How are you doing? <laughs> I am doing good. It's been a crazy beginning of the year, but uh, uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting one. I'll say that. So what are you stirring over there? Well, you know, we have a, a local brand here in Boston who has released a certain ad which has raised hell or raised celebration for both sides of whatever aisle they're trying to stand on. And I wanted to um, kind of look at an article today uh, or yesterday that was put out by Forbes. Um, Why Gillette's new ad campaign is toxic. Now, people are calling this the toxic masculinity um ad basically it depends on what prism you look at life and people are saying well you know it's about toxic masculinity or or um or they suck or they're saying we all suck or or men (laughs) suck you know whatever and that's not how i want to look at it i actually am trying to look at it from the idea of um designers and marketers uh, basically being the the people that need to care for a brand and what that kind of means for any brand that you're using. But, um, I'm, I'm not one that likes what is called virtue signaling. I don't believe in, um, changing your logo for whatever month of awareness we're building or, you know, whatever, because you're, you're ramping up your brand and you're using it as a marketing thing, but, um, Maybe it's maybe I'm like a lot of millennials. We're all skeptical of what the brand is trying to do. Unless you work in these spaces where you're trying to build specifically social awareness or your nonprofit or that kind of thing. I just I think response corporations are are stronger in doing stuff rather than talking about doing stuff. I mean, it's it's no um, breast cancer awareness, for instance. I'd rather see corporations giving money rather than saying, we'll match your donation. Just give the money and try and see if other people will will um, support the cause as well. I don't know. Maybe that is building awareness. but Yeah, I think, well, I think what I find interesting when it comes to that is when they jump on whatever the newest thing is. Right. Like, I think part of the issue is when you do this and you say, okay, it's, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's um, military awareness, military awareness, but military support month. And, and when they jump on all of these different things each month, they're not really building themselves as a solid supporter of that specific thing that month because they keep jumping around. And, and like you said, people are so skeptical of them in the first place or so skeptical of brands in the first place that when they jump on the hottest donation thing, it just feels it doesn't feel sincere. It feels like they're just doing it to not bring awareness to the issue, but to bring awareness to themselves. Right. And I think that's, that's why I think that's an issue. And I think that's why it's interesting for brands to be doing that more and more. Like I said to you before we jumped on here, Nike did it with the whole Kaepernick thing. Now I can't sit here and say what went on in that boardroom, but you know, 
There had to be people that knew it was going to be a problem, that knew it was going to be controversial, and they didn't care. They used it as as marketing that it, I want to say it's angry marketing or it's marketing that they knew people would get really angry, but what it does is it puts themselves in the news. And I kind of feel like Gillette did the same thing. Gillette had to know this was going to cause an issue. They had to know that this was going to stir a pot. And it's it has nothing to do, for me, it has nothing to do with the campaign and being a better man. It has to do with Gillette's damn name is in every article, everywhere, all over the internet, and they're not stupid. Marketers are using these stances to cause controversy, to get the brand's name in the paper, get the brand's name in the news. That's all they care about. They don't really care about what that video is about. So the the interesting thing is, though, it's got to be a fine line, and maybe this is something that people in marketing classes talk about, but... Nike got a boost off the Ka- Kaepernick thing. Oh, absolutely. But the NFL has a bunch of empty seats, largely because of a lot of their controversy. So yeah. which one's right? Because it's supposed to be the same audience, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a perfect example is Nike knew that the controversy would lead to more sales because what's the first name that people are going to think when they get in front of shoes is Nike because it's been in the news all the time. It's going to be the same thing with Gillette. You're going to see a bump, even though there's all this outrage and all of this, I'm going to not support Gillette. I'm not going to buy Gillette. But I can almost guarantee a month from now, Gillette's stock is going to be up because they've been in the news. Owned by Procter & Gamble, um, purchased um, several years ago uh, for a lot of money. Um, Oh, yeah. But I, for one... I, I switched over to Harry's Razors because, uh, and this was prior to this ad even exist. We recorded our episode before the new year, and I was talking about Harry's. Yeah. Um, but it's not because of stuff like this. Gillette didn't even. I I would use Gillette, generic or shit, uh, and I would switch between all of them. No big yeah. deal, right? Um, I liked Harry's design and their whole approach, um, but. The, the responsibility of people that are trying to manage a brand um, is not just to the brand itself, but to their audience, to their shareholders. Um, so when these companies take these massive risks, uh, people could lose their jobs over it or they may be celebrated. So I don't know. I don't I've heard of this concept of conscious capitalism, but I don't think this is. This is more just virtual virtue signaling schlock that millennials, who are the target uh, marketplace right now, are are questioning. They, the article says, in this context, people hold some skepticism towards an advertiser's motives, and that's ultimately it. Yeah. Why are they? Why are they suddenly? You know, we all need to shave, and they've been raising their prices over the years. And once God. these once these mail order things came out. They actually had to reduce their prices by 15% because they were losing huge market share. Is this yeah. their attempt to get some of that back? Well, I think it, it's a misguided thought process because they know millennials care about the social responsibility. I think that it, it goes, it, it kind of goes two ways because I think they were trying to reach millennials and trying to reach them in that area of social responsibility and say, we're a brand that cares. 
But the problem is that they win either way. So I don't know how much of a risk it really is for them. Now, if they were to come out and do something that was completely off the walls, bonker, that was racist or something that was just absolutely ridiculous, and one of those things where you go, how did that ever come out? Yeah, that could hurt them. But I think that they looked at this as that they couldn't lose. They could not lose. If they won millennials over, sales would go up. If it was controversial and their name is in the news, their sales would go up. Like, they, they don't lose anything either way. And I think that almost makes it worse because it makes it so that whether they're actually socially responsible or not, they don't really care because all they care about is how much money they're going to make. And they win either way by putting an ad out like this. I, my, my ultimate question is, why are you giving me five crappy razors on one <laughs> stick when one single razor is enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because Harry really flipped things on its head and Dollar Shave Club and, like you said, all these mail Do- orders. Dollar Shave Club is seizing on this opportunity. They're already advertising to a lot of um, males on uh, Facebook. I've seen these ads. I've never used Dollar Shave Club, but maybe they know through their marketing that I'm buying Harry's, so they're trying to get Oh, probably, yeah. Well, it's it's always one of those things where if you ever look at something online and then go to Facebook, somebody's going to be advertising you based on what you looked at, and it gets creepy. Right, but with with this uh, Gillette being raising controversy, if I'm Dollar Shave Club or, or Harry's, I'm riding on the coattails of this controversy and advertising oh, that to this audience because you're going to draw people that for some reason will start boycotting shaving. I mean, that or we'll just see a lot more beards around. <laughs> I, another thing that I, I find absolutely amazing is that we are now measuring results by YouTube likes. Yes. What is wrong with this world that that's how we decide whether something is liked or hated? Like I, every you know, article I see talks about, well, the the comments on YouTube and the likes versus dislikes on YouTube are, are proportionally disliked, and I'm like, that's how we're measuring. And I realize it is a form of measuring, but it just seems so ridiculous that YouTube is now a way to measure results. Well, that's that's the other thing about measuring results. YouTube is probably generated more by the masses saying thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. But we are now we now need to be skeptical of any um, company generated uh, reviews like the editorial reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. They gave Ghostbusters the abortion from a few years ago, <laughs> like an 86 on the tomato meter or whatever. And then the users went out and saw it. And the movie was awful, not because of the cast, but because it was just poorly written. Oh, yeah. But but they're coming out with a new one next year. I know. Year. I was just going to say, I saw Excited. that. Excited. The son, um, yep. what's his name, got the keys to the car. And that's more news. That's a oh. bonus news item. Yeah, We're that's finally getting cool. a, a Ghostbusters sequel worth talking about. Absolutely. All right. So I, it, it, Gillette thing is really interesting. And I, and I th- be curious if people want to comment on the post on Facebook. Go ahead and let us know what your thoughts on that. Again, we're looking more at the brand responsibility, brand awareness, and what that is. Not necessarily whether you like or dislike the the video. Right, and I'm I'm more particularly invested in this because not just being a graphic designer, I'm trying to advise people on how to be responsible with their brand. 
Yeah. So if you think I'm wrong, let me know and let me know why. Um, I just think they're alienating a group, an audience that doesn't need alienating. They don't think about it. They just buy Gillette. But now they're actually thinking about it. And some of them are going to say, well, screw that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my news item is actually kind of amusing. So this Canadian got caught in a fraud issue because he used the wrong font. And so what it was is um, a bankrupt telecom executive was trying to hide two of his properties when he filed for bankruptcy. And so he was trying to hide them by forging the paperwork. And basically what, what it was is the original documents were created in 1995 and were written in Cambria, a typeface that wasn't designed until 2002. So it, it, and then the best part is he did it again. Like he, he screwed it up originally by trying to fake it. And then he did it again for the second property in 2004. <laughs> he wrote with a typeface that wasn't available until 2007. So it's like, wait, or other way around, actually. So it's like, wait a minute. So this guy was basically forging documents. And because he was forging documents in, a current time, he was using fonts from the current time that were not available years ago. So it was it was really funny to read because it's like, I, and you wouldn't think he'd get caught by using the wrong font because most people wouldn't even think about looking at that. But I'm sure the people that go over the documents and stuff look for things like that because they have to detect fraud. But I was just laughing because I'm like, you did it twice. Like you did it the first time and and, I, and probably what happened is they didn't catch it until he went to do bankruptcy. So he faked his documents a while ago for the first property and then faked him again more recently with the the new another property. And then when they went to do bankruptcy, they're like, hey, wait a minute, these things don't match. So the moral of the story is if you're going to commit fraud, make sure you hire a graphic designer. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just I'll put the article in, and it's just funny to to read that one that he got caught, and two that he just did not pay attention to what font he was using. It, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Wow! So I'll put that in it. Do so, your research. <laughs> exactly, and and it's funny because the other moral of the story, the more realistic moral of the story, is this is why you need to do research when you design something for a client because. You want to make sure that you're not copying somebody else, that you're not mm-hmm. doing something that doesn't match with how the brand is going to be perceived, things like that. So it is important to do your research. I think the more important thing is to not do fraud. But again, that's, that kind of stuff can happen. Uh, I just thought it was great. Not once, but twice. So I will put that in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at rookiedesigner.com slash rd183 as this is episode 183. So now that we've done a whole bunch of news, what topic are we going to talk about today? Actually, you had something you wanted to kind of talk about that happened to you recently. Yeah, so um, one of the things that came up this this week was um, basically I needed to deliver on a product with an extremely fast timeline. So based on our triangle, you get it cheap, fast, or quality. 
you can only get two of those. So I wanted it to be fast and I wanted a decent quality. So I went to the people that I knew that could get it done, ordering it late last week and delivered for Monday, right? This was um, a pretty large run, but still small enough that I could go on a digital press. And I shopped it around, and when the price came back, I actually got quotes from several vendors, and the quote came back, and it was well over my threshold for, <laughs> I'm going to swallow this, and, you know, I'll, I'll run this on my line of credit. No, I, I went back to my client, and I said, here's what I got, here's my solutions, what do you want me to do? So it came back, um, and I had talked the vendor down a little bit, Um and it came back with an approval with the number I gave. So my margin was razor thin at that point, probably like <laughs> half a percent. Um, yeah. But I knew that the product would get delivered and that I'd get paid for the design time, not, not just for my printing relationships. Right. And then when I got the final bill from the vendor, my margin suddenly jumped. And I'm like, <laughs> what went on? What changed? They're like, well, we looked at it and we could do better. So I called you up and I said, well, here's my conundrum. What do I bill my client? Yeah, and that, that was interesting because it, it is, it, you feel like it's a moral dilemma. And my response to you was what you quoted. You, you have no, you, you're, first of all, one of the things you left out is that your client had shopped it around. Yes, they, they, did they too. had also shopped it around. So they came back to you and said, "Okay, yeah, your price is good. We're we're good with that." So obviously there were other vendors they in their area that they had shopped around that were saying, "Yeah, it's it's going to be about that." Or or maybe it was a little less or maybe it was a little more, but it was around that price point. And the other thing is it's not your responsibility to protect the printer. You're a business. You need to make money. You quote it. And, and you had basically given it away to just get the design cost, which I know sometimes happens when you do design projects. So you, you had already gone on the side of being nice and done doing something nice for the, the end user, the client. It is not your responsibility to go back to the printer and be like, wait a minute, you under-invoiced me. It, it's like, and it doesn't sound like they under-invoiced you. It sounds like they overestimated you, which is, uh, me personally, that as somebody who does print reselling, that's concerning to me because it was not a little bit. It wasn't $10. It, it, was, was, almost, it was almost a 50% swing. Yeah. Almost. That, that, that's crazy. And, and that's not a good thing on the printer side. But again, right. going back to what your dilemma was, you felt like, okay, I got a better deal is it my responsibility to turn around and give my client a better deal? And people may disagree with me on this, but most people I've talked to about this say the same thing. No, it is not your responsibility to do that. Can you make the choice to do that? Absolutely. It's totally up to you and how you want to run your business. But I felt like, no, it's not your responsibility. You, you needed, you should have made that money in the first place. And your printer should have quoted you correctly in the first place. So, and it wasn't like your markup was that significant if you, if you had gotten that correct estimate and you had priced it the way 
they gave the way you did originally, your markup wasn't unreasonable. It wasn't like it was two hundred percent for it. It was still a reasonable markup. So I felt like it was a no brainer to me because again, it's not your responsibility to protect the printer. Now, the other side of this is, and this is what I said to you, if you run into a situation where you estimate something for a client and you do what I do, which or it did, and I don't do this all the time, thank God. You do what I did and you give your client the estimate that the printer gave you. So your margin is not just razor thin, but your margin doesn't exist because you forgot to mark it up. I can't go back to my client and say, oh, by the way, it's another couple hundred dollars because I forgot to mark it up for what I need to make. No, like I don't have that option. So I eat that. I basically say, okay, I'm going to get the design cost and I eat that. So, so it's it's kind of what you have to realize is it goes both ways. It's not your responsibility to protect the printer. And if you make a mistake, it's you cannot go to your client and be like, oh, I made a mistake and now you got to pay me more. You're going to lose that client. Right. So there are some layers to the onion here, actually. So I do assume risk. First off, tight turnaround, no, no physical proofs. That's the biggest risk. Yeah. And I carry um, errors and omissions as one of my insurance lines. And I have to help cover the cost of that errors and omissions. Not only that, this printer has me on a line of credit. Not for a small amount. You saw the invoices. Yeah. yeah. So I'm also assuming that risk that the client is good for the amount of money. Um, so yeah, I after talking it through, I, I thought it was idiotic that I, I kind of paused and second guess and this is the whole thing about um second guessing your value as a professional i'll, I'll tell you, you you have that when you just start out it doesn't really go away no when it you're 10 or it 12 doesn't. years into the field i'm 15 yeah it, but it I'm, I'm the second year in running my business as a straight full-time thing so I, I think you need to give yourself some credit though don't feel like it, it was wrong to question yourself. It, that shows that you actually have some morals, that you actually run a good business, that you sat there and said, ooh, you know, I don't want to screw over my client because I'm a good person. But yeah, you're right. You have to understand that. And, and I think part of it is somebody somewhere was looking out for you because your margin was way too small in the first place. Somewhere, somebody said, okay, we're going to fix that for him, and they gave you that larger margin. But yeah, you're right. Making sure that you know the value of the of this whole relationship, it's your relationships with the printers, it's your knowledge of how to quote it correctly, it is knowing who to go to that can turn it around quickly. Yes, it is assuming the risk that something happens to that box and it doesn't get there in time, things like that. There's so much that's out of your control that you assume risk for that, yeah, you have to make sure that you charge for that because, and, and make sure you have the insurance and stuff in place so that you're covered if something happens. But yeah, it's all about your knowledge base, your, your expertise, your relationships. That's what the client is relying on is saying, okay, even though they shopped it around, they don't necessarily want to have to do all that legwork and they don't want to have to, to deal with all of the extra stuff that comes with it. That's what they're paying you for. 
And so it's important to realize that when you're doing your markup that you have that value. Now, yes, you have to be competitive too. Like you can't sit there and mark up everything 100% because no. they're going to go to another printer or they're going to go to another reseller and get a better price. You have to be competitive. But you have to realize that your value is worth something. Your knowledge, your expertise has a value that needs to be put into that. Again, going back to what you were talking about, at the same time, you're a business. You need to make money because somebody made a mistake on the printer side. You deserve that money. You, you are... You are a good, you're a good business person to question that. But again, you got a deal. It's to me, I look at it. It's no different than a discount code that I get from DFS Full Color. I don't pass that on to my client. No, I don't. That they're giving me that discount, not my client. So you kind of have to think about it that way. The other thing is, um, I did mention to my client. You know, given another week, I could have cut this cost by another. 30 percent because of a more um informed process and i could shop it around to vendors that could fulfill it for far less but they just couldn't do the turnaround time because they themselves are print brokers so at this point there's a chain the clients 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 client yeah 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 so i i think it's interesting when we get into these moral dilemmas and how we perceive them. But I think the number one thing you have to look at is you are a business. You need to pay your bills. It's the same reason that we turn away work that is spec work or we turn away work where people are like, oh, I just want you to do me a favor. It, no, I, I, I am a business. I'm not doing this for fun. Right. So it is important to to realize that that is there as well. And again, I get, I get discount codes all the time for my print broker or print for my print reselling business sometimes i will pass that on as a way to entice the client to give me more business but that's my choice at no point do i ever feel like i'm responsible to do that or obligated to do that it's not it's not an obligation now me personally i go back to your printer and be like what is wrong with you people because to misquote you that significantly I really, and I've had it happen myself. I told you a story I had where I had, I, I was doing the same product like almost quarterly for a client. It was these um, sheet invoices that were perfed at five inches. So it was a very specific product they did for me. They have done it quarterly. Now I understand prices fluctuate, paper goes up, ink goes up, down, whatever. And I get this quote and I'm like, geez, that's like really high. Like why all of a sudden is it so much higher? And so I called my printer up and I said, hey, what's the deal? I called the salesperson I worked with and she's like, I don't know. Let me look into it. And part of it is she's the salesperson. They have a estimating department because they're a fairly large printer. She comes back and she's like, yeah, for some reason they stuck like a die charge in there that they didn't need to. Now, if I hadn't caught that, that would have cost me more money. But again, I, I could have marked it up and gone with it and said, okay, end user, now you've got to pay more, but I could have lost that client. So I'm much more cautious now with that printer. And I'm sure you will be too with that printer to say, okay, are you sure this is the right number? 
because last time it wasn't. <laughs> so it is important. And again, that's an added value for us to be able to know that and to know what is a good price in the industry so that we're not going to our end user and overcharging them when they shouldn't be. I think, again, going back to your dilemma, I think the thing that's really important to keep in mind is they shopped it around. Yeah, They must have gotten similar pricing. And that fast turnaround had a much higher value than even I think you realize, because if they were able to shop it around and say, yes, the price you gave me, which was much more than it necessarily needed to be, was still within the industry standard. And part well, of that comes good. from your markup wasn't where it should have been in the first place. Now, it does get a little gray when you get into, okay, you did mark it up the correct amount, and now you're making even more money. But that's where you can make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to back it off a little bit and tell my client. But again, you're a business. It's not your responsibility to save the printer. It's not your responsibility to save the client. You're a business. You're in this to make money. You're not in this to just do it for fun. Right, right. And also, it just tells you better prep is always nice. You should probably start coming up with a standard of what you mark up your printer. We had discussed this because you had print projects come back from four years later. And you don't <laughs> know what your margin is back then, yeah. much less yeah. what it should be today. So coming up with a standard schedule of markups, let's call it that, um, you can make your process faster because invoicing and bookkeeping is not fun. No, it's not. And what Carl's talking about, I'll tell you the story really quick. So I, one of my biggest clients ordered letterhead envelopes, thank you notes, um, years ago, like four years ago. And granted, I had the invoice. I knew kind of where my pricing needed to be. I didn't know exactly what the markup was, so I had to go back and redo that. But I had no idea who I ordered it from. I was like, four years ago, and part of it is I have a wide variety of printers that I work with depending on the product. And I'm going, I know it was local because that's one of the things that that vendor, so that narrowed it down from like 20 different vendors to like five, but I still had five vendors. I had to figure out who it was. And luckily I was able to find a PO that kind of steered me in the direction of who it was. But I still had the thank you cards that weren't on that specific PO because they were ordered at a different time. And I was like, man, I can't remember who the heck this was. So I ended up emailing three of the vendors and it's like, hey, did you guys do this? <laughs> now, I can only imagine the one, the one got back to me and said, no, we didn't do this, but I'll send you a quote. I can only imagine what was going through their head, which is, you forgot who did this and you're trying to make us look into this for you, even though we didn't do it. And I'm like, oops. <laughs> so, so the tip I have is as well as writing down what your markup is somewhere in the notes, not so your client can see it, but so you have it, write down who the vendor is as well so you don't run into this issue years later of going, where did I order that? <laughs> so that, that was a funny thing to run into. Uh, so you got anything else before we jump into recommendations? Now nah, let's go to recommendations. All right, awesome. So my recommendation is a book this week. I have really been on this reading kick lately, and I think I finished three books in two months, which is very, very rare for me. Um, but I've been that was one of my 
goals this year was to read to get to find the time and make the time to make sure I read almost every day. So the book I want to recommend is My Morning Routine. Basically what it is, is it's a book of interviews that two individuals did talking to really prominent people about what their morning routines are. And it's kind of broken down into different categories. Like it gets into like exercise specifically. It gets into parenting. It gets into other specific topics. And that's kind of how the book is broken down. But it's cool because it's not just these two guys telling you what they think you should do as a morning routine. It's every other person's idea of what their their morning routine is. And what I found interesting is... It's very specific. People have a very regimented um, time that they that what their routine is. But what I thought was interesting is the, the time people get up was very narrow. Like it was between five thirty and seven. Like that's when most people got up. And it's cool because there were stats at the end of the book for a lot of the common things that everybody was talking about. And one of those stats was when people get up, and it was ridiculous how narrow that time period is most people get up on average about 6 six thirty, so that kind of was an interesting thing to learn but it it also got into okay if you're you're living with somebody else how does your morning routine affect them or how does their morning routine affect you and how you deal with it and are you a morning person are you a night person and and how does that affect in the relationship how things are so it was really interesting it was a really cool book and i know i recommended it to carl when we had a uh, a mastermind yesterday with some friends, and he was like, you know, one of my goals is to really get a better routine on how I do my day. And I said, this is a great way to start. While it's talking about your morning routine, it tells you how that can set you up to have a better routine for the rest of the day. So it's it's a really good book. It's kind of short. It's not real long. It's a really easy read because it's broken down into those interviews. Most of the interviews are just a series of questions and they're like a couple pages each. So it's really easy to sit down and read a couple and then just put it away and then read a couple later. So highly recommend that. So what's your recommendation? Thank you for reminding me of my homework for next month <laughs> for our mastermind. Um, yeah. Actually, I was going to recommend one thing, but I'm going to go back and uh, talk about scheduling as well. Um, our friend Tani had uh, recommended this uh, blog post called um, based off time blocking and scheduling and there's a template there too it's under conversion minded um and it's time hyphen blocking is the uh, tag at the end of it okay. uh we'll upload the link yeah. but basically um i as a freelancer i've been doing this for a year and i my schedule is kind of uh whenever i have work i'm doing that work or i'm prospecting new work and i need a little more focus i need a little more um uh time blocking to my schedule, kind of like how I like to run meetings. I should be planning my day out like that, scheduling my, my one-to-ones, scheduling my um, follow-up calls and my prospecting because I've got stuff going on that at, towards the middle of the year. I'm going to need that rigid block schedule or a little more rigid block schedule to kind of compensate for changes in life. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that 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 was a really interesting recommendation on her part because she she has talked to us about how she is very rigid in 
when she works on client work and when she works on her own marketing. So I think that that's kind of what made me think about this book was because I was trying to get myself into the morning routine so that I could then translate that into making sure my business routine was a lot better. Right. And um, our, our friend has a, a unique take on this. She sells her days and half days to clients. You're paying me for this block of time, and that's when I'm working with you. And if you're not ready, well, you still get an invoice because I was on reserve for you. I think that's something that we should get her on to talk about. Yeah. I know that she's getting back into that um, after a couple months of just life being yeah. in the way because we all go through that. Um, she's getting back into it, and I think it would be interesting to have her on to talk about how she did it before, how she's getting back into her routine and her scheduling. And then you can talk about what are the things that you're learning as you're starting to put that process in place and get better at that. And then I can just add that my life's completely total chaos when it comes to my business and I need to fix that as well. So I think that'd be a really interesting podcast. We'll have to talk to her about getting her on again. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, my recommendation. All right. Awesome. I will, uh, We'll have that in the show notes again. Show notes are rookiedesigner.com slash RD183 for episode 183. Um, I We're back. Yeah, we had a couple weeks off. It's good. 2019 is going to be interesting for us. We want to push some things with this podcast and see what we could do with it. Um, again, do, I want to try to get some other people on and see what we could do with that as well. Do we want to be the best a rookie can get? Yeah. That's actually a good one. I like that. Did you see what I did there? Got yes, back I did. To the that, beginning. That, that was good. That was, it's, it's like you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> 183 episodes. I think this, this podcast has been around for a while. Which, by the way, if you look, this podcast has actually been on the air for 14 years. Now, Carl and I are not the original people that did this podcast. It, it, is, it was owned by Adam Hayes for quite a while he passed it along to me. I've had other co-hosts. Carl and I have been doing it for quite a few episodes as well. But it's crazy to think that this specific podcast was around when podcasting just started. So it's it's amazing that it's been 14 years. Obviously, it has not been every week because <laughs> otherwise her number would be much, much higher. Yep. But it, it's been around for quite a while, so it's pretty cool. So you got anything else before we sign off? Nope, I'm done with my bad puns. All right, good for you. Remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. <laughs> <laughs>